Father, we ask that you would bless this time to study your word. And Lord, um, as Paul is sharing his heart, uh, we know that he's also inspired by the Spirit of God to write these things down. And Lord, as we uh, hear the command of the Lord this morning, a straightforward command to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. And Lord, we know that you desire for us to, to live that abundant life and that life of just uh, being blessed and full of joy and peace and that you desire to do an incredible work in our lives. So Lord, we do give you this time and we ask that you'd help us to be still and, and uh, open our hearts to you and our ears to hear from you. And we look forward to what you have to say to us. May we be a people that are teachable right now. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So if you've been with us in our study of 2 Corinthians, you know that Paul has been discussing his ministry with them. Matter of fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, we saw that Paul kind of gave his resume for his ministry, the marks of his ministry. And he has been sharing very openly and honestly with them uh, in this epistle thus far, how he came to them, how he ministered to them in serving them and bringing the gospel to them. He didn't have any hidden agendas. He didn't come seeking his own wills or trying to get something from them, but desiring for them to come into the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and then to serve them in a very simple way. And Paul had a real love and affection for them. And, and as he was talking about his ministry, as we saw last week in the first 10 verses, we pick up our text at verse 11. He says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. So you can see Paul's passion here for the believers in Corinth as he, he just cries out, O Corinthians. And of course, we have seen that Paul the Apostle, he really cared deeply for the believers here in Corinth. And it would grieve him to write those letters of correction. Of course, 1 Corinthians is a corrective letter. We know that he would write another corrective letter to them. And you recall that he said that I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love which I have so abundantly for you. So in writing to them, he desired for them to do well in the things of Christ and, and to do well with their relationship with each other. And, and Paul wanted to have a close relationship with them. So in writing those corrective letters to you, I wasn't just coming down on you in a harsh and uncaring way, um, but rather because I want you to do well in the things of Christ. And it's because of my concern and because of my love for you that I wrote those letters to you. So Paul here is saying, oh, Corinthians, I, I've just shared with you as we saw as he would write about what he has done and what uh, they did when they came to Corinth to minister and, and those who were ministering with Paul, what we have done to be approved for ministry. And, and we're being open and honest to you about us. And so he continues to just open up his heart, his heart of love and concern for the Corinthians. We read in verse 12, you are not restricted by us, but you are restricted by your own affections. Now in turn for the same, I speak as to children, you also be open. So there was this, this rift that was between Paul and uh, the Christians there at Corinth. They were, of course, holding Paul out at arm's length. And part of that was because of the legalists that had come in and infiltrated the church there at Corinth. And we also know that there were those who were calling themselves 
super apostles and prophets that we're going to see Paul's going to address them very specifically in the next few chapters. But Paul is saying there's this, there's this rift that's between us. We've been open to you. We've been honest with you. We're here to serve you. And if there is this, this rift, it's because uh, uh, you have restricted by your own affections. And so I've shared my heart with you. And, and Paul was calling them to be open and honest as well, to be one that would listen to Paul. And of course, Paul would say to the Corinthians at one point that, that you have many teachers, but not many fathers. In other words, he was a spiritual father to the Christians there at, at Corinth, and they had forgotten about that. So Paul was desiring that there would be this reconciliation between him and the Christians here in Corinth. And then Paul, in the following verses, continues to speak to them very pointedly and very honestly, bringing correction to them. He's being honest. He, he is sharing his heart because, once again, know the motive of the apostle. He wanted them to do well in the things of Christ. So in verse 14, and, and bring in some more instruction and correction to them, he says, do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So in making this appeal to the Christians there in Corinth, he, he says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, which tells me that that was a problem that was taking place at this time in the church at Corinth. Now, we know that Jesus... He would say to us as we read the Gospels that I've come to give you life and life abundantly. And Jesus, he's come to give us eternal life as he died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. And as we come in faith and, and believe that he's the son of God who died for our sins and needed the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, then we have the promise of eternal life. And we also know that Jesus said, not only did I come to give you life, but I come to give you life abundantly. And that is, I want you to live life the way it should be. I want you to have true joy and peace in your heart. I want you to have true satisfaction and fulfillment. That, that you know that there's real purpose in life as you are surrendered to me and as you believe in me. I want to bless your life as you come to me. And we know that Jesus would give that great invitation that is given to us in Matthew chapter 11 as he stood on the hillside there in Galilee and he said, Come to me, all of you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest and take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So Jesus telling us, for you who are weary, for you who are beaten down and tired, come to me and learn of me. And then he says, take my yoke upon you and you will find that my yoke is easy. Now here in our text, Paul explains to us that we are not to be yoked with unbelievers. And of course, as We've talked about this in our previous studies, the Corinthians, that they had problems being influenced by the unbelievers. Uh, the unbelievers, they're in Corinth. Corinth was a city that was full of idolatry, and it was, was also a very uh, wicked city. It was full of immorality as well. So Paul, in desiring for them to do well in spiritual matters, he's being honest with them because of his love for them, says, now, you guys don't be yoked to unbelievers. 
Now, what is a yoke? And, and most of you know what a yoke is. And a yoke is that wooden collar that, that an oxen or a donkey or a horse would wear when they were pulling a wagon or pulling a plow behind them. And Jesus comes and he says, come to me, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy. Or what he is saying is that my yoke fits well. Because in Jesus' day, they would make yokes made custom design to fit every specific animal perfectly, or when they team two animals together, that they would make a double yoke, and so that double yoke would fit that team of oxen, that, that team of horses, so that um, it would fit them, and they would be able to perform in what they were doing. So the yokes were made custom designed to fit perfectly, and they were made with a great deal of skill by the carpenter. And if the yoke did not fit right, then it would rub on the animal, or rub on both those animals in a painful way, and it would have a negative effect on the performance of the animal, or if two were yoked together, on both those animals. And so the master carpenter would make a yoke specifically designed to, to fit that animal or that team of animals. And Jesus, he comes along, he uses an analogy that the people could understand. He tells them in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you, it will fit well. Yoke yourself with me because I'm going to lead you to a life abundantly that I have promised to you. We do know that Jesus was a carpenter. He was raised in the carpenter shop, his father being a carpenter. And I just have this hunch, we can't say dogmatically for sure, but I have a feeling that Jesus had a specialty in the carpenter shop, and I think it was making yokes. Again, I wouldn't be surprised if that were so, but Jesus says that take my yoke that I have for you. It's easy. It's not restricting or burdensome. You'll see, but the problem can be with us is just as it was with the Corinthian believers is that we don't yoke with Jesus exclusively, but what we will do is we will yoke ourselves with unbelievers in a compromising way. And those in Corinth were in that situation. So Paul writing to them says, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. He said in the previous verses, here are our hearts on this. Our hearts are open to you. Oh, Corinthians, listen to us and watch out. Watch out in your relationships. Watch out in your business ventures. Watch out in the places that you hang out. Watch out that you are not yoking with unbelievers. Don't be linked up with those who don't believe in the Lord. Walking with the Lord. Looking to Him. So this is a straightforward warning that Paul gives to us. And in the following verses, to the end of the chapter, what we're going to see is that the apostle gives us four reasons why we should not be linked together, be yoked together with unbelievers. And, and so for you who like to jot down notes, you might want to jot down these four reasons. The first reason given here in verses 14 and 15. The, the reason that you don't want to be yoked to an unbeliever is because you will not have true fellowship. We read again once in verse 14 that for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness and what accord has Christ with Belial or what part has a believer with an unbeliever? So if you are yoked with an unbeliever, you're not going to be able to have really true fellowship. You're not going to be able to go in that way. 
and walk together in that way if you're yoked together. In my years of ministry, I've had particularly young people, not always, but they will say to me, oh, as they're dating somebody, I, I know that they're an unbeliever, but they're different. They treat me so nice. They got it together in life. I'm impressed with him. I'm impressed with her, and they treat me so well. And, and I think that eventually that they can become a Christian. They'll become a Christian. Certainly they will, and on and on it goes. And they say it's not a problem. Well, it is a problem. When you look at the book of Deuteronomy, the Lord was giving the children of Israel some instructions before they would go into the promised land. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22, there was a warning that was given about mixture. That is, that it gives us a picture of the danger of spiritual mixture. And in Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9, I'll read it to you. It says that you shall not sow your vineyard with different kinds of seed, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be defiled. So in other words, watch out that you don't plant different kinds of seeds together. If you do that, there's going to be problems. It's not going to work. The seeds won't produce in the way that they should, and the fruit of your vineyard is going to be defiled. So there's going to be problems. It won't work out practically. And we here in Greeley, living in an agriculture area, we know that to be true, don't we? That when we go by the fields, there's a field of corn, there's a field of onions, there's a wheat field. The farmer doesn't just go out and just mix up all the seeds and just throw all kinds of different seeds out in the field. It's not going to work. And so that's what he was saying. When you go into the promised land and you begin to plant your vineyards and plant seeds, don't mix up those seeds together because it's not going to work out. And so he goes on to say in Deuteronomy chapter 22, in verse 11, that you do not wear a garment of different sorts. And this whole idea of yoking and mixing, he says, such as wool and linen mixed together. So in other words, don't mix in your garments wool and linen. It won't work either. Wool causes you to sweat. The linen is cool. Matter of fact, in Ezekiel chapter 44, if you've ever noticed, that the priests were told that they were not to wear wool. They were only to wear linen because linen was lighter. It kept them cool. And in the ministry, you want to keep cool, don't you? You don't want the ministry to be a sweaty kind of thing. So don't wear wool. You make sure that you don't mix wool and linen. Don't wear a garment that causes you to sweat on one side and, and freeze on the other side. In other words, be consistent, be wise. And then in verse 10 of Deuteronomy chapter 22, we are told that you do not plow an ox and a donkey together. So in this whole thing of yoking, do not put an ox and a donkey together because there's going to be problems. It won't be efficient. It is hard on both animals. You just can't mix a, a donkey and an ox in the same harness. So the Apostle Paul, he, he refers back to this yoking together that we see in Deuteronomy chapter 22. And he pulls out this uh, this scripture and he says don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers it's not going to work because the nature of the believer and the nature of the unbeliever it's different you're not going to have true fellowship you will look at things differently if you're here and you're single i exhort you this morning to watch out and be careful and not to have the mindset of well you're just dating and we're not really serious and don't date unbelievers. And I can think of, of numerous people in my years of ministry 
that they started dating a non-believer and they were attracted to them and it started out innocent, but then it starts to get a little bit more serious and then there's compromise and, and then there is marriage. And then pretty soon the thought of the believer is, well, I, I thought that they would become a believer. They told me they would go to church with me and down the road there is problems. You are raising the kids alone in the admonition of the Lord. You find yourself praying alone. You can't pray with your husband. You can't pray with your, your wife about anything. There are struggles and there's disagreements and how the kids should be raised and disciplined and what are the priorities, the spiritual priorities in the homes because you see things differently. And I've had individuals who I've talked to and they said, you know, I knew deep down inside that there might be problems and, but I just kind of ignored it. And I didn't think that I'd be facing the things that I am facing. And there's just simply a sadness and an emptiness. And, and there's not this, this harmony that should be there. It's like an oxen and a donkey that is linked together, trying to, to plow. Now, I do know that there are some in the fellowship, and I want to say this, that, that your spouse is a non-believer. And I am not suggesting that your life is, is miserable. I'm not suggesting that you should end your marriage. Not at all. But scripture is very clear that if you're married to an unbeliever, you stay with them, you love them, you pray for them. And out of God's grace and mercy, he has brought that unbeliever's believing spouse to the Lord oftentimes in those cases. But I want to give you one that is young or if you're single, you're dating, you're thinking about these things, Wait on the Lord to bring you a godly man, a godly woman. So don't get into missionary dating. I'll date them to get them to come to church. Well, get them to come to church, but don't date them to do it. Okay? So it's the same thing, same principle in business partners. What do you do when that business partner who's an unbeliever wants to go in an ungodly direction or practice? So... Here he says, don't be yoked to unbelievers because there's not going to be true fellowship in those spiritual things. And secondly, there isn't going to be true harmony. The unbeliever is not going to have harmony with the Lord. You see verse 16, and what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. So when, when Paul says, for you who are the temple of God, that word you is plural. It might read in another translation that we are the temple of God. If you are yoked with an unbeliever, we know that it will affect us. But the other part of the equation that we need to realize that, that it will affect others as well. When you refuse to do the way of the Lord, when you are yoked with a non-believer, it affects others, it will affect your family, it can affect the body of Christ. For example, a single mom, a single dad gets married to an unbeliever. It will not only affect you, but it obviously it will affect your kids. You enter into a business venture with an unbeliever. And there have been those who have said, well, I know that this opportunity for this business is causing me to link up with a business partner that is an unbeliever, but he's a smart guy. Don't be yoked together. There's going to be problems. And it will affect others. And we don't, as I mentioned to you, oftentimes think about those things. And there can be problems down the road. You can ask Jacob back in the book of Genesis. 
Jacob, as we read his story, had worked for his uncle Laban for years, married his two daughters, Leah and Rachel. And Jacob made this business deal with his uncle Laban. And even though, as you read Genesis chapters 30 and 31, you see that Jacob was blessed in that business venture. But Laban began to get bitter. He began to to get jealous and weird towards Jacob to where it says that his countenance was unfavorable towards Jacob to the point where Jacob feared for his life and feared for his family. So what he did is he packed up his stuff, he gathered his flocks of animals, he gathered all his kids, he fled, and Laban pursued Jacob. And even though they ended up making a covenant, it became a a source of stress and problem and a big hassle for Jacob and his family. This dealing with each other. Jacob and Laban. Laban, which we know in the scriptures, was an idol worshiper. And here Paul is saying to the Corinthian believers, you're the temple of God. You're you're living stones, Peter would write in his epistle, being fitted together into this holy habitation. Don't defile the holy place. We belong to God. We are his people, and he walks in our midst. I have known churches and ministries that got caught up in business ventures or fundraising projects with unbelievers. And again, it ended up becoming a big hassle and a big disaster, and it affected the whole congregation. Or you go into a business venture with an unbeliever. It will affect not only you, but your family as well. So Paul, given the command, don't be unequally yoked together because there won't be true fellowship and and there won't be harmony. And thirdly, you are to be separate, verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will receive you. So Paul here, quoting from the book of Isaiah, chapter 52, verse 11. The exhortation of the word uh, here out of Isaiah is to separate yourselves. Don't touch the unclean thing. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't ever talk to an unbeliever or you won't witness to them or have contact with them or we don't care for them. Of course we do. That's not what's being implied. We know that Jesus talked to sinners, didn't he? He would call Matthew there at Capernaum, the tax collector, to stand and follow him. And Matthew would leave his tax collecting table and he would follow after Jesus. And it tells us that right after that, that Matthew had his friends over, tax collecting buddies and other sinners that were at his house for dinner. And Jesus was there eating with them. And when the religious leaders came by, the Pharisees, they saw that that Jesus was there in the house with Matthew and, and those tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees said to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus, hearing that, said, I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners into repentance. Here's the thing to remember. When Jesus went into Matthew's home, that I believe Matthew was saying, here's my new Lord, I'm following him, for the purpose of introducing Jesus to all of his friends that needed Jesus as well. And when Jesus went to the home of the tax collector to have dinner, lives were permanently impacted and changed. He always, always impacted others. But you see, what can happen so often with us is that we go into places maybe thinking that we're going to witness uh, this time. And what ends up happening is we end up getting impacted and we are changed and we are drugged down. 
You see, if you are truly impacting that place that is worldly and carnal and people are, are repenting and praying and turning to God, great. But if that place is impacting you, then there needs to be a separation. You see, the guys at work go to the bar after work. And you think, well, I'll just go and just have a beer, but I'm going to share some Bible with them, the gospel, and more often than not what happens, even though you had good intentions, you end up being impacted. And you can come out smelling like booze. And you've been polluted in your mind. And listening to carnal music. And I've even had those, again, over the years of ministry, tell me that they did things that they absolutely regret. And if you find yourself in those situations, then pull away, get out. Don't meddle to your own hurt, thinking that you're more spiritually strong than you really are. Come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. So it's a straightforward command of the scriptures. I think again about Jacob and his situation. After he leaves that area of Pandanarant, after he worked for Laban for 20 years. He made that covenant with Laban. Laban says, you don't come back to Pandanaran. And Jacob heads for Canaan. He's going home. And as he is going home, he gets word that his brother Esau is coming to meet him with 400 men. And you probably know the story how Jacob was greatly afraid at first because he thought that Esau was going to kill him for reasons that we don't have time to explore this morning. But it turns out, as you read Genesis chapter 33, that when Esau caught up with Jacob, that Esau, who was a profane person, as Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, he was a godless man in, in what it could be translated. He catches up with his brother Jacob. He gets off his horse. He goes up to Jacob, and he ends up embracing him. He kisses him on the neck. He gives him a big hug. Hey, brother, it's been a long time. Let's let bygones be bygones. And it says that Jacob and Esau wept together. And then Esau looked up and he saw Jacob's wives and his kids. And there was an introduction to Jacob's family. And it was a wonderful you know, surprise, this reunion that took place there. But then Esau said, hey, Jacob, why don't you guys travel with us, me and my 400 guys? Let's journey together. Let's join in together. And Jacob said, no. He said, no, you go ahead. We're going to go in another direction. And there was separation at that point. And even though we care for people, certainly we love family members that are unbelievers, and we're concerned for them. We, we meet with them, we have contact with them, we gather with them. But you don't travel together spiritually. You're not yoked together. And there is a separation that takes place because you're going in different directions. And here's the thing that we can think, hey, I'm a good guy. I love the Lord. I got maturity. It's okay to go into a business venture. And even though my partners are unbelievers, yeah, we have differences of opinions on matters of, you know, of spirituality, but hey, that won't play a role in, in what we're doing. Can I give you something to think about and to pray through? In the Old Testament, there was a good man. He was a godly man. He was the king of Judah, and we read about him in 2 Chronicles chapter 17 through 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 
And it reads, as you read about him, it says that the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals. He sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand, and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. In other words, Jehoshaphat, he was a good king. He was a godly king. And during his reign, revival breaks out around him. Good things are happening to him. He's a blessed man. He was a good king, Jehoshaphat. But when you get to Second Chronicles chapter 20, you read at the end of Jehoshaphat's reign, he was 35 years old when he reigned. He reigned for 25 years in Jerusalem. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord. So in the scriptures, you have chapter after chapter of a godly man with a successful life spiritually because he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. But at the end of chapter 20 of Second Chronicles, there's kind of this P.S. that is there. The last three verses of the chapter. The last mention of Jehoshaphat. You read it in verses 35 36 and 37, again in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'll read it to you. It's a kind of a by the way is what it is. It says that after this, that Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself, or that is joined in, if you have a King James, or he literally yoked himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. All the kings of Israel acted wickedly. And he, he allied or aligned himself with him to make ships to go to Tarsus, and they made ships in Ezion Geber. So here was this godly man that says that I'm going to get involved in this business venture, a partnership with Ahaziah, a man who was ungodly. I'm going to align myself with him, ally myself with him, yoke myself with him in this business deal, and we're going to build ships, and we're going to go to Tarsus. Now, Tarsus at this time was the place, you know, where Jonah was going to head off to when he was running from the Lord. Tarsus was kind of a fantasy land, a Disney world. In, in Tarsus, there was exotic things and animals and economic prosperity and opportunity. It was kind of like vacation land. And so Ahaziah says to Jehoshaphat, hey, let's join together, let's yoke together in this business venture and build ships that will go to Tarsus. We can do it, Jehoshaphat, you and I, and we'll score big. We'll really cash in. And Jehoshaphat, he says, okay. So they built their ships there in Ezion, Geber, and the last verse of the chapter says this, that a prophet of God came and spoke against Jehoshaphat. And saying, because you have aligned yourself, yoked yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works, and the ships were wrecked, and they were not able to go to Tarsus. You see, Jehoshaphat was hoping that a ship would come in, but in reality what happened is the ship went down. And his business venture ended up on the rocks. It sunk, and that was the end of the story of Jehoshaphat. And the reason that I'm pointing this out to us this morning is because you may be a very godly, mature man, a godly woman, but be careful that there is not a P.S. that is tacked on the end of your life for some reason. Jehoshaphat thought, I'll get involved with this ungodly man in this business investment, and it ended up a loss. It was a waste of resources, it was a waste of time, and a waste of money. And Jehoshaphat's life ends up being a study on not what to do. Can I ask us a question this morning? What do you want to leave as a legacy? 
and you may be a godly man, a godly woman that has walked with the Lord, but don't make the mistake that Jehoshaphat did. Well, I'm going to make this partnership and join in and yoke in with this unbeliever in this business investment because I believe that our ship will come in. And you may be thinking even, you know what, Pastor Jeff, you don't know what you're talking about. Because I've made some pretty good partner relationships that have netted me some money. And I've seen other Christians do the same thing. I just want to say this, please be careful. Because Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and destroy, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You may be thinking, you know what, I've made a whole bunch of money, but you're yoking yourself with an unbeliever, a worldly carnal person whose priority is to amass worldly things. But what good does it profit you or me when we do that and we end up making a bunch of money but we ended up compromising our godly integrity and character as a godly just man? If there's no wanting to bring glory and honor to God, if you can't completely give that partnership to God for Him to bless and to guide and direct, that's why I say be careful and take heed to what the scriptures is telling us. Again, in 20 years of ministry, I've seen many godly individuals that no problem. I'll yoke myself with this individual who is ungodly. They're not a believer in a, and it wasn't you know, a problem because it's just business. And soon they start to get really sucked into it. Their legacy at the beginning was to be about the things of the kingdom. To be a man or a woman of honesty and integrity, but pretty soon down the road as you travel together, there begins to be compromise that may come. No motivation begins to turn carnal. It's not spiritual at all. It ends up taking a whole lot of your time, and you're known as, as a business wheeler and dealer. Is that what you want to be known for? And what my prayer and hope that our children would not say of us is, hey, dad, hey, mom, hey, dad, he was a godly man. But he ended up getting all tied up with these other ventures, and we don't see him a whole lot these days, or we don't go and get involved in church. We don't serve the Lord like we once did. It's not a priority with us. He's done well, but they know something's different. It isn't the same. And maybe your ship has come in. But in reality, spiritually, your ship went down and you crashed. Because it's the worldly one that will say, hey, you can't afford to go to church on Sunday. What's this Wednesday night Bible study? We got business to do. You can't serve in that way and give that much time to, to your church. There's business to take care of. That's the priority because it's his or her priority when you yank your, link yourself and yoke yourself to somebody who's thinking that way. We've got to go for it. And it becomes kind of tricky. And Jehoshaphat was a godly man, a good man, who did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He goes down in history as doing something very foolish, being linked and yoked with a wicked individual. So what do you want your kids and your grandkids to say about you? 
Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers in a way that will pull you down spiritually, either in relationships or in business. And then finally, fourthly, as we finish the last verse this morning, don't be unequally yoked, not only because you don't have close fellowship, you can't with an unbeliever in spiritual matters, there won't be any harmony. And not only are the command of the word is to be a separation, but fourthly, know the desire of the Father. You see, after saying, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, we read now in verse 18. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Lord desires for us to separate from the unclean, worldly things. And to be separated unto him, because we belong to him. We are his children. Does it mean that if we are unequally yoked with an unbeliever in marriage or business or relationship of some sort, whatever it might be, if that's the case, does it mean that I'm not a child of God? No, of course not. You are his child if you have opened up your heart and asked the Lord to come into your heart, to be your Lord and Savior. You belong to him as you've come to him in faith. You are his child, but he wants to be a father to you. And, and what does Paul mean by this as, as he's saying this to us? I think here's an example. This was years ago when, when my kids were younger. Barbara was nine, ten year old, nine or ten years old. Rachel was three or four years old in, in that time frame. And Barbara would have a friend over, and Barbara would have a friend, and they'd be playing. Well, Rachel, who was younger, and those of you who have kids, you know how this works. Well, Rachel thinks that that friend came over to play with her as well. And so Rachel wants there to be a yoking together, wants there to be a linking together, and playing with, with Barbara's friend. And what happens is, is Barbara gets frustrated, Rachel gets frustrated, you know, Barbara's being mean to me, Rachel's being a pesty and all of this and there's all this commotion and things that are going on and, and hurt feelings and what I do at that time and what I did I'd say hey Rachel come on come with dad I'm gonna take you somewhere and at first she might be a little bit reluctant and she wanted to play with Barbara's friend and and I want to go in that direction Rachel come with me and I put her in the car and I take her to the park I take her to Dairy Queen. I want to be a good father to her. I take her to different places where she has fun and, and I'm with her and pretty soon she forgets about that. You see, that's the way it is with us. Our father who is truly good, he says, listen, listen to you who are in Corinth. And he says to us this morning, you Christians here at Calvary Chapel, don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers because he doesn't want us to go through all the fighting and the crying and the problems, but we think this is what I want to have. And the Father desires for us to come from among them so I can take you to great places and do wonderful things for you as you are separated and clean. If you don't, you're still my child, but there's going to be some problems. And there's going to be hurt because you didn't heed the command that is given. And he says, you're my child. I'm a father to you, to bless you, to take you where there's going to be joy and happiness. But what happens is we can yoke ourselves to another or worldliness and the yoke is hard and difficult. Again, it's like the ox and the donkey being yoked together. 
In the book of Joshua, there was a man named Achan. The children of Israel marched around Jericho. They blew the trumpets and the walls came down. All of us know the story. But in that story, they were told, when you defeat Jericho, don't you know, take the spoils, the gold and the silver, but that's dedicated to me, is what the Lord said. Well, there was one man, Achan, he saw this Babylonian garment, and, and he said, I want that, and he took it, and he, he hid it. He took the Babylonian garment, and, and think about the stupidity of that. I mean, it wasn't like that he could wear it. I mean, what are others going to say if he ends up wearing this Babylonian garment? Hey, where did you get that garment? And I don't know, mail order, I, you know. He can't wear it in the camp of Israel. And that's what sin does. It's just stupid. So Achan takes this garment, the gold, some gold and silver, and he hides it, and the children of Israel move on. They come to their next place of battle, that is little Ai, and there they ended up being defeated. And Joshua falls on his face and he says, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord said, Joshua, get up. There's sin in the camp and you need to deal with it. And so it was Achan that was found out that he had taken that Babylonian garment and he was taken out and he was stoned. Truly Achan. But I'll tell you the truth on this. So oftentimes we will go through unnecessary aching in our hearts and in our lives because we don't take seriously the command given to us in the Word of God. And secondly, we don't know the desire of the Father. That the reason that he tells us not to be yoked together with unbelievers is because I want to bless you, I want to work through you, I want to bring true blessing in your life and joy, and I want to take you to places that you never thought of because you're my child. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time and the straightforward command that is given not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. It's not that you don't love them. You love them. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But Lord, you love us, and you want us to be in a place of your hands and your safety. So Father, I thank you for this lesson this morning and for your word. I do want to pray if there are those that are here, if anyone is listening to this message, maybe you're sitting out in a coffee shop, maybe you're going to listen to it later on the radio. But if you are not a believer, the Lord loves you and desires for you. That invitation that he gave was come to me. And that invitation is for you. To come to him and learn of him. And yoke yourself with him because he loves you so much. He died for you. He's provided eternal life through forgiveness of sin. He's the only one that has done that for you. No one else, no other spiritual leader. It's only through Jesus Christ that you have eternal life. So he says, come. And if there is anyone listening to this message that you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ, just as Paul wrote earlier in this epistle that today is the day of salvation, now is the acceptable time. Tomorrow isn't promised to anyone. 
And the Lord, if he's knocking on the door of your heart, open your heart to him. He loves you. And recognize that you are a sinner. All of us are sinners saved by grace that are in Christ. And you can come into that position as well of realizing that you need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, who died for every one of your sins because of his love for you. And he provides that forgiveness and that hope of eternal life because he rose from the grave, he's alive. And you yield your heart to him, you come in faith, you can't earn your way to heaven. But it comes by humbling your heart. Jesus said to repent and turn to him. Surrender your heart to him. Open up your heart. He wants to save you, and he's come to give you life, but also life abundantly, to give you a life of real purpose and joy and peace and strength and wisdom.